Okay. Yes, I... recording. Okay, so we're recording. Well, look at this slide, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I chose this slide because for the last month, I've been memorizing the Hallelujah Chorus for us to sing on Sunday. And singing about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is a good anecdote for bad news. It doesn't change the news, but it gives us a long view. So the story we're about to look at has more has had more impact on me than anything that I have studied all year. So I would just like to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over creation. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you became a man for us and the humanity that you experienced, your death on the cross. Holy Spirit, we ask you to take this story today and apply it to our lives in a new and fresh way so that we can understand the beauty of your plan, even in the most difficult times. Amen. Okay. So, as we study the King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, um, and as we have been studying Second Kings, we have been comparing our life, our current life situation in 2022 with what happened during the time of the kings. We live in turbulent times. They lived in very turbulent times. So finally today, we have a good king, Hezekiah. And so behind every king in all of these stories has been the unseen king, our sovereign ruler who controls history. And during times of misery, uh, especially as we see today, um, and fresh attacks, by Russia on Ukraine this morning in the paper, um, we ask, how can God allow this to happen? And evil seems so strong and so devastating and so in control. But in our two chapters today, we're going to see how a good king deals with evil. And then we'll conclude with how Jesus dealt with evil and finally how we are, be able, are able to deal with evil. So Hezekiah was a good king, and we're in 2 Kings 18, and these are the things that the author of 2 Kings 18 says about him, that he did right what was uh, in the eyes of the Lord like David, that he removed false worship, that he trusted the Lord, that he held fast to the things of God, that he kept the commandments, that the Lord, now whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, that remember that's Yahweh, and that's the very personal God, the one that we can talk to and talks to us and loves us as, as we learn to love him. The Lord was with Hezekiah, and he was successful. So this is what Second Kings tells us about Hezekiah. But Second Chronicles tells us even more. So I am going to Second Chronicles 29. And it says, many years with many bad kings, and they had no temple. They had no worship, and they had no celebration of the Passover for years and years and years. And this is where this story becomes personal for me and hopefully for you. The Passover lamb 
was extremely personal for those who were saved out of Egypt because that Passover lamb saved their lives. And they were told to celebrate that every single year. And it was during the Passover that Jesus was crucified and he became our Passover lamb. And so we remember that every time we take communion, that he gave his body and his blood, which connects us to the very first Passover in Egypt. But these people in before King Hezekiah, they had not celebrated the Passover for years and years. And what struck me as I was studying this is how the pandemic has affected my ability to worship, not just the Passover, but communion with others, with people. I mean, we were, we were taking it in our own homes and Anyway, and it's just, it was, it was not the same to me. And so this is why I felt a kinship to these people, because Easter of 2020 and 2021, all community worship was in upheaval. And I used to sign, the world is temporarily closed, and it was temporarily closed. So hopefully we can identify with these people, many who still loved Yahweh, but were not able to celebrate the Passover because of the evil around them. So I'm just going to do a whirlwind tour of what Second Chronicles tells us about Hezekiah. The first thing he did was he repaired the temple and he said to the priests, contract consecrate yourselves and consecrate the temple. Give this much defiled place a good house cleaning. And he decided when he wanted to do that, that he was going to turn history around. He had seen how because of their sin, because of their idol worship, um, Assyria has coming in, they're, they're losing people, they're losing villages, they're losing um, entire cities, and people are being taken away. So he wanted to turn history around for his people. And then he said, I want to revive the Levites. Those were the priests of the, his day. And he said to them, God has chosen you to lead us in worship. This is your life work. Do it well. And these Levites responded. And the first thing they did was they cleaned the temple. And it says it took them eight days to remove the piles of defiling junk and pagan rubbish. That's what Eugene Peterson calls it. And I picture them just throwing all of this stuff out, cleaning it out, just how you feel when you do a good house cleaning. So that's what they did. And um, then it says they took their place in the temple with their musical instruments. They took cymbals, harps, zithers, and they followed the instructions of David. Hezekiah is a king after David's heart, like David. And he made this orchestra, it says, with trumpets and choir singing with the orchestra, and everyone worshiped. They formed a worship and a choir. And I found this picture of Brennan, and I just loved it so much. This is the picture that those of us 
this is the face that those of us in the choir get to see during rehearsals and on Sunday. His joy in the Lord is so contagious. Everything he's feeling is on his face. And he's so gifted, like the Levites who were gifted for music. He is a gifted person, and it's such a joy to me. And then it says, at the same time, the sacred choir began singing, backed up by the trumpets, the David Orchestra, while the entire congregation worshiped. The singers sang and the trumpeters played all during the sacrifice of the whole burnt offering. They finished off with anthems of praise to God by using lyrics by David and Asaph, the Psalms that we have in our Bible today. They sang their praises with joy and reverence, kneeling in worship. And now in 2 Chronicles 30, it says, that Hezekiah encouraged them that they worshiped for seven days. And it, the word joy, rejoice, joyfully is just repeated over and over and over in this, these chapters. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced. They had invited Israel to come, but those people in the north scoffed them and said, no, we don't want to participate in the Passover. But those who came rejoiced day after day after day. After seven days, they hadn't had enough, and they went another seven days. Jerusalem, bursting with joy. And it said it was the first time since King Solomon, hundreds of years generations had not celebrated like this. And it said, God heard from his holy place and he blessed them. So this whole thing about joy being the central theme in God's holy place between the cherubim is a central theme for Hezekiah's worship because the cherubim and his, the holy place represents the most intimate place you can go to talk to God. And Hezekiah is going to come back to this place when he is in great danger. And so finally, in 2 Chronicles 31, it says, the people go home and smash the false gods. The key here is that this revival resulted in a change of heart. They, the false gods were detestable to them because they had experienced the joy of the Lord. The gods that ruled so harshly, as Scott preached a couple of weeks ago, why do I want to serve a God that rules harshly when I can worship the Lord who gives me joy? And as the modern worship uh, people sang, you can see it on the screen, I won't waste a second. I won't waste my praise. I give it all to Jesus. I surrender all my days. And so this is the way the people, Hezekiah, his, his um, priests, the Levites, all the people in the, his kingdom all felt they wanted to surrender all their days to Yahweh. Verse chapter 31. Hezekiah, it says he's generous, it says he's fair, and he and his officials worshiped together after everybody went home. So the key here is that this revival resulted in change.
They no longer worshipped false gods. So then it says, Hezekiah carried out all his work and kept it up everywhere in Judah. He was the very best, good, right, and true before his God. Everything he took up, whether it had to do with worshiping God's temple or carrying out of God's law and commandments, he did well in the spirit of prayerful worship. He was a great success. So, ah, a wonderful king. Everybody's full of joy. And then what happens? 32 verse 1. And then this. After this exemplary track record, this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and attacked Judah. He put the fortified cities under siege and determined to take them. And this brings us to the reality of when you come down from wonderful worship like that, you have to face what's going on around you. And are you going to return to your false gods or are you going to stick with the Lord and his plan through the difficult times? This does not surprise me that this, this king wants to attack now. Evil always hits back. So let's get back to setting up the story again. And uh, this is the green blob, Assyria, right here is Judah. Samaria is right here. And Jerusalem's right here. So you see, everybody wants this piece of land. <laughs> this is the trade route. So what Israel had here was very precious and uh, good, good, um, good soil. So that's why everybody wanted that. So this is the, the setting. This is why the Assyrians want it, so that they can get through to Egypt. This is the list of the Assyrian kings, and um, we're going to deal with two of them here. So what's going on at the time? The rise of Assyria continued aggressive expansion, and one successor after another all wanted Israel and Judah. Now, these Assyrians advertised their war crimes. These are detailed inscriptions that are imposed reliefs, and they attest to the strength of their reign across the Middle East. They created an enormous empire and mastered the art of war and torture. So we think crucifixions are bad. Some of the things that are depicted on these reliefs are so horrifying, and they bragged about it. Um, they would, they had these tablets that are still around today that showed how they carried off the, the tortures that they did. They cut off limbs, they gouged out eyes, and then left their victims to roam around. So... Uh, they, these people were victims of the Assyrian cruelty. It was psychological warfare. This is a six and a half feet tall. It's a black obelisk of Shalmaneser III. And it, um, the reliefs depict five defeated kings bringing tribute to the monarch. The prostate figure on the bottom panel is thought to be King Jehu. So... Uh, we heard about his um, defeat a couple of weeks ago. 
So uh, in the second Chronicles 32, it says that Hezekiah prepared for war. He took care of the water situation so that his Jerusalem would not be without water. He took care of the military situation. He assembled the military people and told them, be strong, take courage. Don't be intimidated by the king of Assyria and his troops. There are more on our side than on their side. That's an echo of what Elisha said to his servant. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. God's armies are stronger than human armies. He only has a bunch of mere men. We have our God to help us and to fight for us. And so it says that morale surged and Hezekiah's words, then this is so important, put steel in their spines. When God washes through you as you worship him and you hear his word, he puts steel in you so that you can face the worst calamity of your life. So now we are finally back to 2 Kings 18. And I'm just going to briefly read. He, this talks about the third year when he came to reign. He was only 25 years old when he became and who his mother was. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, just as his father David had done. He removes all the false worship. The, um, the sacred stones are actually... Um, Phalic stones, I have seen them in ancient cities in Israel that are outside the, right outside the city gate. They remove those stones and they cut down the Asher poles, which is the female counterpart to that god. They broke into pieces. And, and I could go on and tell you more about this bronze snake of Moses, but I just don't have time. So we're going to say that, uh, go on here to verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, there was no one like him, neither before him or after him, and he held fast to the Lord and the commands that the Lord had given. And the Lord was with him, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, comes down here. And this is what um, Christina was telling us about last time. I'm trying to get my laser pointer out here. Pen, there we go. So he comes down and he takes Samaria. He doesn't get to Jerusalem. He takes Samaria and then he takes them and, and leads the people away. So Samaria was captured and um, king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in all of those places where apparently, as Christina said, there are still Jewish uh, communities. So now, verse 12, this happened because they had not obeyed Yahweh, the Lord, their God, had violated his covenant and all that Moses had commanded, and they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. So this is the history that Hezekiah wants to change. He wants to bring his people back to the Lord and keep them safe and out of the hands of the Assyrians. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah's 14th year, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities and he was capturing them. So Hezekiah sent his message to the king of Assyria. What have I done wrong? Withdraw from me and I will pay whatever you demand. He doesn't want to go to war with these people. He knows he would be overwhelmed. So the king of Assyria says, oh, give me some money. I want silver and gold. So Hezekiah gave him the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and then the treasuries and the royal palace. Ten metric tons of silver 
and one metric ton of gold. But is this going to pacify the king of Assyria? No. At the time, Hezekiah, the king of Judah, he stripped the gold and whatever was covering the doors of the temple and, and gave it to the king of Assyria. But that doesn't pacify him. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander. And when I first read this, when I was a young woman, in the King James, it says his supreme commander, they call him the Rabshaka, or you could say Rabshaka. Anyway, I like that because it sounds so nasty, like everybody could go boo his. And his field commanders in the charge of the large army. So first they take Lachish, and then they go are on their way up to Jerusalem. They called the king, and now here are three really important men, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder. They went out to them. So these three men go out to the Rabshaka and his men. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. On what are you basing your confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and might of war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Moi. Don't do it. I'm stronger than you. So we have now moved outside the walls and we're having this discussion. Look, I know you're depending on Egypt. Oh, don't depend on Egypt. They're like a, a, re, a pointed reed. You put your hand on it and it's going to puncture you. So if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord, our God, isn't he the one whose high places Hezekiah removed saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before the altar in Jerusalem. So now the conversation has changed and he's not talking about armies. He's talking about Yahweh. And so we're now getting into a whole different emphasis here. It's all about blaspheme against Yahweh and Elohim. Verse 22, but if you say you depend on the Lord, so can you depend on the Lord? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. This is really dissing these people you you don't we have 2000 horses but you can't even put people on them how can you repulse one officer in the least of my master's officials even though you're depending on egypt for chariots and horsemen so this is this is ridicule and it's terrorizing furthermore i've come to attack and destroy this place with uh, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? In other words, he's saying, your Lord Yahweh sent me to do this to you. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and to destroy it. He's twisting things that God had said. This is not something new that people do with scripture. It goes back years and years, centuries and centuries. Then Eliakim and Shebna and Joah said to the commander, oh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't, don't speak in Hebrew in the hearing of all the people on the wall. We don't want to terrify them. And I love, I love, oh, where's my laser pointer? There we go. I love these people on the wall. They're listening. Everybody's so, I mean, I picture myself. I'm one of those ones on the wall 
what's going on down there? So, but the commander replied, ah, was it only to your master that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who like you will have to eat their excrement and drink their urine? And one of the translations says, are you going to eat your turds and drink your pee? That's what he's telling them that they're going to do when he comes and puts a siege against them. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king of Assyria. He wants everybody to understand. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah pursue you. Um, persuade you to trust him. Yahweh, the Lord, when he says Yahweh will deliver us, this city will not be given into the hands of the King Almighty. Okay, here's another blasphemy we have. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in Yahweh. After all, Yahweh has sent me. Do not listen to what he says. But uh, uh, the King of Syria says, make peace with me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink from one of your sister. And you won't have to eat turds and drink your urine until I come and take you to the land of your own, a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards and olive trees and honey. Choose life, not death. Don't stand up for your freedom. Don't stand up for your Lord. I will take care of you. Uh, don't listen to Hezekiah, for he's misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his hand, the people from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods? And he lists these towns. Where have they all gone? We've overcome them all. And have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Those were their brothers in the north. They didn't the Lord didn't rescue Samaria from their hand. But he says, Hezekiah misleads you when he says to trust in the Lord. So this is another jab over and over and over again. He says the same thing. Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save me, save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Okay, here's another one. How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem? So you see this trend here in this whole chapter. This is not about armies. This is about the king of Assyria going against the God of the Israelites. They're challenged with this confrontation. God's ability to save. It is not a military contest between deities. But then it says, the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. And this picture is a picture of Israel when everyone stops and remains silent to honor those killed in the Holocaust. The power of silence is, is I could remain silent, see if you all experience that power, but I won't. But anyway, so the king said, do not answer him. And it was their worship together of Yahweh celebrating the Passover that is putting iron in their souls right now so that they can withstand this horrible trial. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, 
the palace administrator, Shebna and Joah, these three, they went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. Hezekiah heard this. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. Remember when we heard before when he said he prayed between the cherubim to the into the holy place of God. This is where he went to he want he goes right in to talk to the Lord. And then Eliakim, the palace minister, Shebna and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, they go to Isaiah the son of Amos. A few years ago, we studied the whole book of Isaiah and all that Isaiah had to do with the kings of Israel and what he said and his prophecies. So we love Isaiah and he was available to King Hezekiah. And they told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this day is a day of distress as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Uh, we're all ladies here. I want us to stop and think. Many of you have probably carried a child to term and then were not able to give birth. So you had a cesarean. In these days, that, that is only what, maybe 100 years that people even lived through that. So in all of history before that, Women would come to term with a child, looking forward to the life, looking forward to being a mother, the family excited. And then she goes into labor and screams for days and days until there is no strength left in her. And this is what Hezekiah is comparing their situation with. We have no strength. We have endured all that we can, and we are all going to suffer this death. It may be that the Lord, your God, will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord, your God, has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. And the key here is when Hezekiah says, it may be. These words are, in essence, repeated by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be your will, you can deliver me from this. It may be your God will hear. The, the three young men who were carried off to Babylon will say this when the king in Babylon wants to throw them into the fiery furnace. They say, it may be that God will deliver us. The end result is always left up to Yahweh, the Lord. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said this to him, tell your master, this is what Yahweh says. Do not be afraid of what you heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. These are just underlings. They don't mean anything. And they're blaspheming me. So in 19, we have, they have blasphemed me. This battle belongs to the Lord. This is not a military contest, but a contest between the Lord and the pride and the false 
uh, pride and hubris of this king of Assyria and his claim that his God is going to win this battle. Listen, verse seven, when he hears a certain report, I'll make him want to return to his own country and there will have him cut down with the sword. There's going to be rebellion at home and he's going to turn around. When the field commander heard that the king of Syria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. But Sennacherib received the report and he, he was fighting, fighting out to march against him. But he sent messengers to Hezekiah. He's not done with Hezekiah. Say to Hezekiah, even though things are going badly at home, uh, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. You are still doomed. Surely you've heard about the other kings and what I, um, what I have done to them uh, at the, the other countries. Okay. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? And then he lists all of these other people. This is terrible, terrible sarcasm. So here we have another blaspheme against Yahweh. Your God deceives you. Okay, that's challenge, it's confrontation, it's, it's coming to an end here. Where's the king of Hamath and where are the kings of all of these other cities? All right, so now what happens? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And he went up to the temple of the Lord, the place where he worships Yahweh between the cherubim and spread it out before the Lord. What did he pray? The first thing he does is he worships God's holiness. Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. This is a picture of where he goes to worship. When we, as a community, say the Lord's Prayer, we start with our Father in heaven, holy is your name just like Hezekiah did here. Secondly, he worships God's sovereignty. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the, of the earth. You alone are sovereign. That's when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Third, he worships his personal Yahweh, Lord. Give ear, Lord, and hear, open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to ridicule the living God. Your reputation is at stake. Deliver us from this evil that we say every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. And fourth, he worships God's power to deliver from death. Now, Lord, our God. Deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you alone are God, the Lord, our God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And Hezekiah takes this right back to God, asking these people to be his banner to the earth, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord, our God. And we are to be that banner today. And that's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. So 
this intense prayer in trials prepare the the um, worship and the joy in the Lord prepare us during times of peace. We go to community when we have intense prayer in trials. The community of believers surrounded Hezekiah. All those had worshipped when they celebrated the Passover. Um, and, and the Lord's prayer is a community prayer. It is our Father. If we say it in community. Three, we ask others for prayer. Hezekiah goes to Isaiah. We are prepared to say, your will be done. It may be that the Lord will save us. And finally, be prepared for scoffers. There were those in the north who scoffed Hezekiah and said, eh, nothing you can do will help save you. Jesus had to do with scoffers when he went to the cross. We deal with scoffers who don't believe our faith is real. Wait for the Lord and then uh, wait for his answer and wait for him to act. Finally, Hezekiah does not round up his army. He waits for the Lord to save. And what does the Lord do? He sends Isaiah to cheer him up. And he says, Isaiah said, uh, son of Amos sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I've heard your prayer concerning the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord has spoken against him. This is my battle, says the Lord. His prayers are effectual. And then Isaiah is going to go on and talk about how the Lord feels about the pride of this king of Assyria with his fist raised and his hand on his sword, ready to come get you. Virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. And I personally love it here that as this message is delivered to the king of Assyria, that Israel is spoken of as a female getting revenge. But your messengers, by your messengers, you have ridiculed Yahweh. You have said with many chariots, I've ascended the heights of Lebanon. So he's taking over forests and, and all the lands and, and how he's taken the water there. I will ascend, he says, and be like God himself. And he's going to overcome mountains and no physical barrier will stop him. And um, then he talks about the waters in Egypt and all of this. I'm just rushing through this because we're, we're getting short of time here. The people, um, they are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. So God hates this pride and he's going to come against it. Verse 27. But I know where you are and when you come and go and how you rage against me because of your insolence uh, has reached my ears. So no, Yahweh knows everyone, even the pagan king of Assyria. He knows your rage and your pride, even when you deny him and ridicule him. And this sums up Psalm 139. 
that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and God knows everything about me, not just the writer of the psalm, but every single person God knows what's going on in their heart. And then this, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This is both literal and figurative way that they led the prisoners. They put the hooks in their nose and led them and bits in their mouth and led them. When I was in my 20s and I first read this, I was horrified. I never wanted the Lord to lead me in this way. But then as I continued reading the Bible, the Lord gave me another verse, and this is found in Hosea 11.4. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down and fed them. And this is the kind of leading that God offers us today, not to be led by a hook in our nose, but by cords of kindness, chesed, God's eternal kindness and ties of love. And this is what he offers to all of us today. And so Isaiah goes on to say, and this is going to be a sign to you, Hezekiah, this year you'll eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But the third year you will sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. Oh, this beautiful image. Before Isaiah had given a sign about the Lord's coming, and this time he gives this agricultural sign to Hezekiah that God is going to bless them and provide for them. They're not going to have to eat their excrement and drink their urine. This is a beautiful picture of God's sturdy vine, the people of God, whom he supplies with everything that they need. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. And I want to concentrate on this word zeal. It's a love word. It's, it's a word of God's love that does this. It's not what these people do. It's what God does. It's God's love that takes you and leads you with cords of loves and lifts you up like a child to his cheek. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of, his, of Assyria. Yahweh, not going to take this fellow lightly. Uh, he will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. God does this for his own name and his own promises. It's because he put his mark on David and David's people, and he keeps his promises always. That night, the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all the dead bodies. Herodotus, a historian, says in an Egyptian legend, 
that it was rats that invaded this camp and killed 185,000. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Remember Nineveh? We studied Nineveh with Jonah. No wonder the people hated the Ninevites. Okay. One day, while he was worshiping the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons killed him with a sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And another son succeeded him as king. So that Assyrian king was murdered by his own children. So in conclusion, I want us to compare Hezekiah, Jesus, and us. Hezekiah, he brought back the Passover. Jesus became our Passover. And the women at the well, we celebrate together. We have celebrated communion together. We celebrate together. Unfortunately, this old picture, <laughs> we should have treasured that more than we ever thought. But hopefully someday we can be back together. But we can draw parallels here with Hezekiah, Jesus, and us. And I want you, we're going to note the differences between Hezekiah's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom. So Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as Jesus did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the women at the well do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. You see, we are connected through Jesus to these people, these ancient people. We are all connected in this worship and love of the Lord. Hezekiah purified the temple. Remember, taking out all the junk took him over two weeks to do it. Jesus came in in his day and he purified the temple. He upset the tables. He said, you've made my house of prayer a den of thieves. And we cleanse our temple when we confess our sins. Hezekiah worshiped in community, this huge community with orchestras and musicians and choirs. And Jesus worshiped in community on his last night with his disciples. He was worshiping the Passover as Hezekiah worshiped the Passover, as we worshiped in community. For those of you who were able to come on Sunday when we worshiped the resurrection of Jesus. Hezekiah prepares for hard times through worship. And Jesus prepared for his hard times through worship. It mentions many times how he went away to pray by himself. He worshiped and he worshiped with his friends and he prepared himself for the hard times. And we as women at the well, we prepare for hard times through our worship together, through our prayer together. Hezekiah experienced intense prayer during trials, and Jesus had his intense prayer in Gethsemane, and we have intense prayer in trials. All of us, Hezekiah, Jesus, and us, all have to come to the point where we say, not my will, but yours be done. That is the most important thing that we learn to abandon ourselves to the loving arms of the Lord's will. Hezekiah was spared from that trial. Jesus was not spared, but glory was on the other side. And so as we come to pray, 
we may not be spared from our trials, but because of our faith, we know that there's joy on the other side. God's will is, is what is key and important here. And finally, Hezekiah gives praise to God in the victory. Jesus sits on the right hand of God. And we, women at the well, have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We live in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is all about loving each other. And I go back to this verse in Second Chronicles. After the Passover celebration, they went home, destroying all the false, false idols along the way. Joy in the Lord smashes all false gods. I said at the beginning that this story, oh gosh, I'm over time, uh, affected me deeply and personally. And when I sang on Easter Sunday with the trumpets and the harp and the organ and the drums and the full choir of dedicated musicians who know their calling, I felt connected with those who rejoiced with Hezekiah in Second Kings. And I wanted to go home and smash all my false gods. I felt their joy complete in their restoration of lost hopes. And during the pandemic, I, along with many others, lost my purest call for joy, singing praises to the Lord. The restoration, even for a window of time, compels me in my joy to face my deepest false gods with a new honesty. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I'm sorry for going over, ladies, and I'll skip this part because I just want to lead you uh, finally to this. Wherever you are, say together with me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we're holding our unforgiveness as an idol, we give that up. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, from our own evil, from the evil that surrounds us, from the evil that attacks us. For yours, Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, ladies.